So our scripture passage for today places us in a very stressful and wild part of Solomon's life. His father David had just given him the throne to rule as king, and then he passed away. And on top of losing his father, Solomon immediately has to deal with the people who did not want him to be king, which included not only some enemies of King David, but also Solomon's own brother, Adonijah, who wanted the throne for himself. And once these people were dealt with, Solomon goes to offer sacrifices to God. And then we see that night that God intends to keep his promises to David. And one of those promises is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, where God says to David, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. So we see here in 1 Kings chapter 3 that God comes to Solomon in a dream and asks him what it is that he wants. And God is holding to his promise to David that he would raise up David's offspring and establish their kingdom. And God basically gives Solomon free reign to make one wish. And now my question is, how many of us here struggle with making choices? I'll be the first to admit that it takes me forever to decide what clothes I want to wear in the morning. And don't even get me started on trying to pick a restaurant to eat at. When making a choice, I get so caught up in the details of the different options that I have, and I always struggle with the fear that I chose the lesser option, or if it comes to restaurants, I worry that the other people aren't going to like the restaurant that I chose to eat at. And I mention this because I really couldn't imagine myself in Solomon's shoes here, having God ask me directly what it is that I want. I would overthink it and end up asking for something that I would later have buyer's remorse for, or in this case, requester's remorse. And maybe you're not like me, though, and you can make choices very easily, but I think something that we would all truly struggle with is our American way of thinking with our requests when it comes from God. Our culture has taught us to live into competition, into self-reliant individualism, as well as materialism. And I'm sure all of us would be so tempted to ask God for something selfish that only helped us or our immediate family because they are the first thing that's on our mind. Most people would wish for a new house, a new car, some kind of crazy amount of money, long life or fame or power. But Solomon didn't ask for any of these things. Solomon instead asked for wisdom in order to lead God's people. And I want to point out what wisdom is. Prior to preparing this sermon and studying for it, I thought wisdom was basically synonymous with knowledge. But in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it speaks of both knowledge and wisdom. And it says, Reverence of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. To revere the Lord is to start on the path to knowledge. And God can then begin to provide us with wisdom through Christ, who Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, is wisdom itself. Paul says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made, us to be wis- made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. In reality, knowledge is learning things, while wisdom is the application of that knowledge. Knowledge understands that the light has turned red. Wisdom applies the brakes. Knowledge sees the quicksand, 
but wisdom walks around it. Knowledge memorizes scripture, but wisdom lives it out. Knowledge learns about God, but wisdom loves him. You can find a ton of Solomon's great wisdom that God has granted him throughout the books of Proverbs as well as Ecclesiastes. And after better understanding what Solomon asked for here, I noticed in Solomon's request that we can kind of see four different elements at play as we see through verses 6 through 9. The first thing that we see is his request acknowledges God's past action. Solomon knows of all the amazing things God has done throughout his father David's life and the promises the Lord has kept to him. And I'm sure when King David was raising Solomon, he told him story after story of the goodness of God, of God's favor on him through the good times as well as the bad times. In verse 6, Solomon says, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David. And one commentary that I read made a point to say that the translation of the Hebrew word hesed for kindness here doesn't truly convey the love and care that God has been displaying. Hesed is this loving kindness, this mercy, this favor that God pours out. Solomon also acknowledged that David's faithfulness, righteousness, and his uprightness were the correct responses to this covenant that he had with God, which leads to the second element of Solomon's request, where he asked God to continue his favor on him. Solomon refers to David as God's servant, and then in verse 7 refers to himself as God's servant. So in a similar way, he pledges himself in relationship to God, much like his father David did. And in these two elements of acknowledging God's past action and asking for God to continue his favor reminds me of my own experience. But instead of like Solomon did and acknowledged it and held on to it, I fell short. When life gets really hard and stressful, I have the tendency to forget and lose sight of how God has moved in my past and continues to move and work in my life currently. For example, when I was in the final year of my undergraduate degree, I knew that God was calling me to seminary and full-time ministry. Also knew that God was calling me specifically to Asbury, and so that was the only school that I applied to. I had three kind of spiritual leaders in my life who I just really looked up to, and they had nothing but good things to say about Asbury. And everything else that I was looking up and reading, it just, it all pointed me to Asbury. So it was this Sunday afternoon that I was filling out my application, and I was trucking along, making my way through it, filling it all out, and then I get to the part where it asks me which campus I want to be a part of, which campus I want to live at. And so the only two options that it gave were Florida and Kentucky. And in my head, immediately, I was like, oh, this is a no-brainer. Florida has sunshine, it's got Disney, it's got beaches. It all, a lot of my favorite bands growing up came out of Florida, and my family, we even took some vacations to Florida, so it was a little bit familiar to me. So I was like, man, Florida's awesome. That's definitely my choice, because what does Kentucky have? Horses? Bluegrass? I don't know what else Kentucky has to offer. So for me, that was an easy choice. So I chose Florida and then kept going along and went about my day, submitted the application, and that was Sunday. And so that Monday, I get a call from admissions, and so... She said, hey, we got your application. Everything looks great, but there's only one problem. You said that you want to be a full-time student on campus, 
and you chose Florida, that's actually our extension site, and our main campus is in Kentucky. And she said, I can switch you over and put you onto the Kentucky side of the application, and we can just move on from there. And my response to her, I honestly, I don't remember what I said, but she could definitely tell that there was a lot of defeat and sadness in my voice in my reaction to her telling me that she would switch me to Kentucky. And so she told me, she was like, well, how, how about this? If you pray on it and you come up with the finances, then we can switch you back to Florida. Because the problem with Florida as well that I forgot to mention is that because they don't have on-campus housing, I would have to find my own apartment. And on top of that, I would lose out on a lot of scholarships for full-time students on campus. And so all of these things started to just kind of crumble around me with like me questioning, God, are you really calling me to Asbury? Out to Kentucky in the middle of nowhere? And so I, I got off the phone with her and honestly, I immediately started to wrestle with God with it for the rest of that Monday and even into Tuesday. And so by Tuesday afternoon, I'd finally was like, I gave up and I was like, all right, God, I know you're calling me there and I'm going to go but I'm not going to like it. And so <laughs> that night I had a night class uh, that semester. And so I went to class and the professor, oddly enough, let us out of class early. And so I was like, oh, awesome. Because normally on Tuesday nights, what I do is I go to the comic book store and hang out with my buddies and play games there. And so as soon as class let out, I immediately booked it over there. And so I, I met up with my friends, got to see them and hang out. But then there was this new guy there that I'd never seen before. And so I introduced myself to him, and I was like, hey, I'm Jacob. Do you play at the comic book store in the town over? I've never seen you before. Dead serious, he looks at me and he goes, no, I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> and I said, what? My mind was just blown. I couldn't believe, what are you doing in Southeast Texas? There's nothing to visit out here. Like, he, it turns out that his fiance's family happened to live in the town over, and he found the comic book store's game night on Tuesday, so he just showed up. And so what's even crazier than that is he lived only 20 minutes away from Asbury. And so I was like, dude, this is what I've been going through. This is what's happening. What's going on in Kentucky? Like, am I going to be okay there? Like, <laughs> am I going to die of boredom? And so then we got to talk in, and he tells me all of these great things that Kentucky has to offer and how I would just fit right in. And God used this guy, this stranger, to bring so much comfort to me to just erase every worry, every doubt about God calling me to go to seminary, especially out to Asbury in Kentucky. And I, I tell this story because I could have learned something from Solomon by acknowledging God's past action in the midst of my stress and uncertainty for what's to come later. So God has been at work in my life, but I quickly lost sight of it as soon as I was finishing seminary and interviewing with the different churches to serve. I was talking to churches in Houston, in Belleville, in Athens, Texarkana, and of course, Tyler. And all of these places were unfamiliar to me. And then immediately I found myself kind of falling back into that, that worrisome rut of like, where am I going to go? Am I going to like the town that I end up in? Like, God, where are you calling me? Am I going to thrive there? And if I would have just remembered how God worked and moved in the past, and looked for him to do the same here, I would have been a lot less worried about where I would end up. And it shouldn't come as a surprise that, as, that much like God led me to Asbury and blessed me beyond comprehension there, 
Literally, some of the best years of my life were at that school. It's no surprise that he has done the exact same thing with leading me to Marvin Church. Because this church has been such a blessing to me. And it's been so formative for me in my walk with Christ. And y'all are just so loving. And I truly know and believe in my heart that this is exactly where God has called me to be. So then the third element that we see in Solomon's request expresses his humility and he, he identifies his own shortcomings. He recognizes his own inadequacy and his lack of experience for his call to be king. He knew the only way he could be a successful king for the people was if God granted him wisdom. This, this guy named Rich Cathers has this lesson titled, Usefulness Starts with Inadequacy. In the lesson, he points out that quite a few people that God used the most all suffered from feelings of inadequacy. And when God called the prophet Isaiah, he responded by saying, Woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then we see God said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. But Jeremiah replies saying, Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young for this. And when God calls Moses, he responds to God by saying, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The point that Rich is trying to get us to see and understand with the examples of Solomon, Moses, Jeremiah, and Isaiah is that if God has called you to something, don't be afraid of those times when you feel utterly useless and inadequate. It is in the midst of those feelings that we may, that it is in the midst of those feelings that may make you the most useful to God because you will learn to trust him the most and rely on his strength and guidance for what he has called you to and for what he is preparing you for. And the last element of Solomon's request that I want to point out is what I mentioned earlier. It was a selfless request, not a selfish one. He asked for wisdom, not for his own glory and boasting, but he asked for wisdom so that he could be equipped for the role God had called him to, which was to lead his people. The ultimate desire of his heart was to glorify God, which is why God was pleased with Solomon's request. And not only he gave it to him, but he gave him even more than what he asked for. And this selflessness of Solomon to put his own wants aside and to glorify God reminds me of what I heard Bishop Hayes say at our Global Methodist Church annual conference last weekend. When he was preaching, he said something that stood out and it stuck with me. He was talking about how we can get so caught up in this idea of what's in it for me. If someone asks for our help early on a Saturday, we can so easily get caught up in the fact that we have to give up our, our one day to sleep in that week and go and help someone else out. And so we think, well, what's in it for me? Am I going to get compensated for this? Am I going to get a free meal? Or if God is calling us into something new, like sharing a kind word with a stranger or even leading a small group or a Sunday school, we need to not ask, what's in it for me? But in any situation, we need to be asking, what's in me for it? Or better yet, who is in me for this? 
We should be thinking of how we can offer Christ to others through the wisdom bestowed to us in any situation that we face. And what I want us to all take away from today is that when life gets rough and it gets stressful, we should follow the example of King Solomon and not forget about how God has worked for others as well as us in the past and know that God is still at work today and for eternity to come. We should pray for and seek God's wisdom to navigate through life and step into what he has called us to and is preparing us for. And better yet, we should be praying for wisdom before our life gets stressed and all out of whack. That way, we're already leaning on God's guidance when life gets tough. Would y'all please pray with me? Almighty God, as we begin to take steps in the direction of our purpose, we ask that you make us wise. We ask in faith that as your word promises us, you will give us wisdom in every small and large decision as we step into our purpose today. God, we thank you that we don't have to rely on our own understanding as we know that your wisdom will guide us on the path you have called us to. And even as we go about our day and head into this coming week, Lord, we ask for your guidance. God, we thank you for the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.